We left off on chapter 11, verse 15. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying Matthew as much as I'm enjoying it. It has been really, as many times as I've read this book, this time just seemed, uh, I'm just seeing things I never saw before, and more so than usual. Uh, yeah, yeah you know what cool. I mean? It, it is living, it is active, you know? He, he lets you see what yeah. you need to see. At that when you're ready to That's see true. it. You know, That's when, true. when no, he's not showing it to you if you're not going to do anything with it. Yeah. So, Verse 15, uh, Jesus is talking about John, and he's just wrapping that up. We dealt with, was John Elijah? And Scripture plainly says, no, he was here in the spirit of Elijah, So, which is why you get a yes answer and a no answer to John being Elijah. Because yes, he was in the spirit. He did what Elijah was here to do. He was the one who was to come like Elijah. Okay. Then Jesus says this, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, that's not just hyperbole. That means pay attention. That's Jesus saying, listen up. Think about what I'm telling you. This is important. This is connected to the previous verse about John as the next verse begins with the transition, but. So what he just said about John, he's saying, think about it. I just spent a whole lot of this precious real estate of this book talking about John. So you should have an understanding of who, you should know who he was, what he was here to do, and, and what that means to the kingdom. Okay. Accept uh, what I told you about John as gospel, <laughs> because it is gospel. <laughs> because I'm saying it, which everything Jesus said is gospel. Next verse. So that wraps up for now, John. And like I said, in the New Testament, there isn't as much written about anybody as there was about John other than Jesus. What we know about them. Maybe Paul. You know what I mean? Um, but I can't think of anywhere, I mean, books start with John mm -hmm. you know okay he moves on now after talking about John and who he was and how he was and what he did he says but what shall I compare this generation what he's saying is there was John and now there's you is what he's saying that's the standard now let's talk about you uh, it is like children sitting in a marketplace who call out to the other children after speaking about John, Jesus contrasts the nation with him. This is what John was like. This is what you're like. Jesus speaks to the Jews as a whole at a place, at that place in that time. It's interesting to think that the aggregate spiritual condition of a people changes uniformly. What I'm saying is the whole nation had become like that. That might sound familiar. It's very familiar. That... This has happened several times in Scripture, uh, where God said, you know, well, he went and checked on two whole entire cities to make sure that it was as bad as just to look for ten people. You know, I'm go before I blow them up, I'm going to make, I don't want to, I'm looking for a reason not to, and I can't find one. Uh, there are times when the, when he, when the flood came. Now, I don't care whether you believe there was a flood or not. It doesn't matter to me. I have no issue with it. The point is this. 
it was so bad worldwide that God dealt with it. We had just entirely, as an entire race of people, just declined. We, we got on a downward swoop, all of us, the entire thing. And he's the one that shut the door on the boat. Amen. <laughs> was it? Wasn't, wasn't Noah. What was it, eight God, people? God shut it. An entire Amen. world, eight people. Uh, but this is interesting. Yes, there's individual responsibility, and God deals with everybody individually. Each one of us, even the saved, stand before God to review their life for reward, not for punishment. The entire world will stand, you know, sheep or goat, right or left, stay with me, go away. So individually, yes, but there's also the collective judgment. And God already knows how we will act and what we will do. He talks about how bad it will be at end times. And God doesn't have to do anything for He doesn't make it bad. He just knows what has to happen for it to be bad. And one of the worst things that could ever happen to us to make us horrible is unbridled prosperity. Man, you want to you kill the church? Give them money. You attack the church, the church grows. You know, faith is a jackal that feeds among the tombs. You want to kill the so church, true. make them rich. So true. And watch what happens. Yeah. Anyway, it's interesting to me. Uh, there are notable exceptions. With Jesus knowing this, I wonder why he chose to come into the midst of such a generation. But it's like he picked this. He waited for them to get really bad and said, mm, now's the time. And me, I would think, well, let's go and to the people who are doing really well <laughs> show up then. Um, but it sh honestly, if they were doing well, would have they crucified him? They didn't want him. God showed up, preached truth and love, healed people, fed people, and they killed him because that is not what they wanted. They wanted prosperity for their country. They wanted them to destroy the Roman Empire. Yes, they wanted to be there. Right, they wanted power. Yeah. And so to me, I, I just, it still fascinates me that God always knows the exact right thing to do, the right time to come. And he's looking at him now. He knew it before he came. He's just letting him know now. With Jesus knowing this, I wonder why he chose to come in such of a missed generation. Because in 70 AD, uh, Jerusalem would be totally destroyed and that generations of Jews would be dispersed throughout the world. They would actually just stop being a nation of any kind. Uh, it was, was that 40 years after this, just the, the Romans just got tired of them. They just said, that's enough. And they, I mean, they literally came through and just, and I'm always stuck with the words from uh, Pilate speaking to them. And they said, let this be on us and our children. Now, I am by no means am I anti-Semite. I pray for the Jews continually. They are the shoulders we stand on. But man, whew, be careful what you ask for. You're killing God, and you said, oh, let it be on us and our children. Mm. 17. This is, a, I'm sorry, I went so far that I maybe I should read that. He said, you're like children sitting in marketplace who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. What he's doing is he's comparing 
how John acted and how he acted and how they basically complained about each of them. John was so strict and so, you know, by the law, by the letter, you know, just, you know, and they called him a nut. And they called Jesus like a, a glutton and, a, you know, and never happy. You don't, well, I think the way that one of the, like the, the living Bible or some put it is you don't like it when we play wedding and you don't like it when we play funeral. Uh, you didn't accept John. You don't accept me. The problem here is you, is what he's saying. Yeah, that's what I have, playing wedding and playing funeral. Yes. The problem here isn't us because we offered you this whole potpourri of things and you choose neither so the problem's not us what he's saying is the problem's you uh they were looking for reasons not to repent instead hearing the messages they criticized the messenger it's hard to hear a message of repentance if you don't think you need to repent because your insecurities will tell you well he's saying there's something wrong with me <laughs> yes they are saying there's something wrong with you. Well, we don't want to hear that. We're righteous Jews. We're God's chosen people. Tell us how to get rid of these Romans. Don't tell us to repent. How many times do we sit and complain about the people, the goats or the wolves that are in the congregation, and we complain about them continually, and we spend our entire, our entire time railing against them, pointing out, and that's not how this works. Repent for your life and what you've done. I'll handle them. Don't take the splinter out when you have a Amen. Amen. <laughs> Deal with your own splinter. Yeah. Yes. And it's the truth. Now, that message of repentance never changed. John came preaching repentance. When Jesus started to preach, it said Jesus preached repentance. When he sent his disciples out, it says they preached repentance. When the church started, they preached repentance. Well, we don't preach it much anymore. We we're trying we're we're trying to create a religion where repentance isn't necessary. If I want to do it, it's right. I don't have to repent from it. And people say, "Well, if you love them, you'll accept them." Oh, I accept them as being loved. But if I love them, I have to tell them you need to repent. This isn't about social freedom. This is about eternity. It's like a little kid. You have to, if you love them, you're going to discipline them. Well, at least speak the truth in love. Right. Anyway, they criticized the messenger because they did not want to talk about their own repentance. And never forget that that is at the core. Every time they talk about preaching, they said they preached repentance and the coming kingdom of God. So, what do you need for the coming kingdom of God? Repentance. Stop. Stop. Turn around and follow me. The kingdom of God's here. Change. Yeah. yeah so. Okay. For John came neither eating or drinking, and what means he, I mean he ate, but he fasted. Mm. He has a demon. <laughs> he came doing the thing Scripture says to do. Well, he is. Uh, remember, he is a Nazarite. He he does not drink. Uh, he has the Nazarite, the vow of a Nazarite that he was a lifelong from birth. What were the only two from birth that were Nazarites? Oh, come Samson. on. Samuel, I believe. Samuel. No. Eh, there's two. Anyway, uh, I mean, that's what he is, which is one of the highest, if done the right way for the right reasons, is one of the most honorable things you can do in the kingdom of God. And he said he has a demon. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. 
It's interesting to note that while John was becoming less and Jesus was becoming more, as John is being poured out, Jesus is taking time to lift John up. Remember John said those beautiful words? Oh, the words of Christianity, the words of our walk with God. He must be less, I must be less, he must become more. That is my entire hope. That's my goal. Uh, everything else falls under that. Every, if I do that, everything else will be done right. Uh, it, but it's neat that he did that. He's off in jail. You know, he's going, you know, he, his end is coming. That all happens after he says, I got to go away for him to become what he needs to be. Mm-hmm. But before he does, Jesus lifts him up. Jesus takes the time because he humbled himself. Jesus lifts them up. It says, right here. That's why we have so many words about John in here. Mm. As John fades away, Jesus turns the spotlight on him as he leaves the stage. Is you know, honestly, it really, it was really cool. James four ten says, "Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you." He, when God exalts you, you're exalted. You know, you keep we keep trying to do it ourselves, and it is always awkward. It always just. Uh, and you always go home and go, why did I do that? You know, and it just, yeah. And you can tell when other people are doing it, and you're like, oh, please stop. <laughs> you know? Right, sure it is. Which is our only enemy, honest, our true enemy is our own pride. Yes. And Proverbs 29, 23 said, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will, will obtain honor. Will, absolutely. The, the words will is used twice. Uh, well, I've, I'll say it once again. It's been a long time since I said it. You have two choices in this life. Be humble or be humiliated. One of the two is going to happen. Yeah, you'll be humiliated. <laughs> yes. Yep. Matthew 23, 11 through 12. But the greatest among you is a servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. We just saw that happen. Jesus just exalted John. First Peter 5, 5 through 7. Young men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. You shouldn't have to add towards one another, but it's there. Humility should always means how you present yourself to others. It's, it's redundant with a purpose. It's like, really, I mean this, how you act in front of other people. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You don't want God opposed to you. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Here's the big one. At the proper time. Mm -hmm. But I want exalted now. I feel like I should be exalted now. It would make me feel better to be exalted now. Uh, Yeah, yes. (laughs) And he's going, God's going, my watch doesn't say now. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Trust me. And I was thinking of this when you were talking about your prayer request, and it says casting all your anxiety. Mm-hmm. This comes with humbling at the proper time. In other words, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. <laughs> so at the proper time, uh, almost like one of the parts of humbling yourself is letting go of your anxiety because you realize that it's not yours to fix. It's not yours to make better. He's the one who cares for me. I do what he tells me to do. And whatever comes out of it, comes out of it. And at the proper time, which means the proper time for you, not his proper time, because his proper time is the proper time for you because he cares for you, and he's never not cared for you. And um, so 
being humble and humbling yourself before the Lord and humble yourself even before other people, just being humble, mm. deals with anxiety. What a neat thought. There's a sermon there. There, There's a sermon there. Um, <laughs> sometimes you just see them. They're just, there they are. They're highlighted for you, right? Yeah, you just, ooh. He, he reveals it to a, you. As, yes, as uh, D.S. Uh, Don Scandra used to say, that'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> And then he says, the son, now after talking about John, he said, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, that would be prostitutes. Uh, yet wisdom is, vind and then he says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. What does everybody else have there for okay. verse 19? Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Well, yours, because you, have, you, the have, same, the you have the same, you have the same, yeah. Yeah, I know yours does. What does yours say? Verse 19, the last line. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Her deeds okay. In right. the lives of those who respond to me. Yeah, okay. So what he's saying is the proof is in the pudding. And he's saying the deeds I have done vindicate my life. What I, boy, we've just been dealing with this. Uh, what you say versus what you do. Um, and part of that part of life is there are things you really want to do right and your pride just won't let you and you will fight it for a long time and you'll feel bad every time you do it and you'll say to yourself i'm never doing that again and then you do it again and uh it, it's the vindication is in the life uh, i'm not saying that you have to be perfect i'm just saying there's a vindication in moving the right direction there's vindication in not wanting to be that way anymore when what you want gets changed. Now, there's still a step after that. That doesn't end it. You know, where what you want needs to be changed, and then there comes a time where it needs to actually change. That's where you're like Christ and, and that's where he needs, you need that spirit, you need fellowship, and you need someone, and you need people to be patient with you. And the reason that we're patient with each other is be, you know the reason i'm patient with you is because you're going to have to be patient with me because as we all know by now another advantage of a small church is if you spend enough time with anybody you're going to see them being what's there and without it being fatal to the relationship mm -hmm. um it is the sort of thing where well i like saying i'm not okay you're not okay but god says that's okay we'll deal with it yeah. and right. that's the truth and so what Jesus is saying, all these things you said about me, but look at the life I live. Look what I do. Look at the deeds. Look at the words I say. And so where's your proof? Whatever I do is right. Well, simply because he did it. Yeah. He's Jesus Christ. If he does it, it's right. Jesus continues this thought as he addresses the response some cities had to the miracles he did. Once again, a collective judgment. So after talking about how you guys are what you are, so he's this whole thing is directed to the Jews in general, he called it this generation, but to this group where? Up where he's from. This is all up in Nazareth. This is all up in Galilee. This is north this isn't down in jerusalem where they're going to kill him these are his people these are the disciples people this is home 
And after he says, this is how you guys saw me and John, then he turns and talks to them and says, then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Why? Because they did not repent. There it is again. Displays of the power of God come with expectations from God. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask to see because you will be held responsible for it. If you get it, you're responsible for the outcome in your life. God expects, demands repentance when his power is shown. When it shows, when God shows up and points it to and points to you and says, this is the truth, and you go, I don't like it. I don't like the truth. What else you got? <laughs> yeah, what else you got? And God's like, See ya. yeah, oh, I got other stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I got other stuff. And he's about to tell him. This is the other stuff I got. I got a nice big fish. It'll swallow you. Oh, he's going to let him know. Denouncing uh, precedes judgment, which precedes punishment. He's denouncing them now. He's, this is the reading of the charges. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Mm-hmm. He's comparing. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be it'd be like saying, uh, "You'll feel Pittsburgh will fare better than Cleveland." <laughs> you know, it's just like, "Woe!" Ah. Con- yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> woe conveys judgment mixed with pity and sorrow. Aww. Oh, whoa! Oh, you. Uh, it's just like going, "Oh man, you guys have no idea." These three cities were clustered together in the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. He spent a lot of time there. Bethsaida was the birthplace of three of the apostles, Andrew, Peter, and Philip. Then he says, Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Tyre and Sidon were Phoenician cities along the coast of the Mediterranean. Uh, from 1500 to 300 BC, they were just prosperous debauchery uh, along the coast, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, the seafaring people, the Phoenicians. Really good at what they did. They lived in prosperity. And what does prosperity do? What What was the problem with Sodom? If you go to Isaiah, what does it? You had great prosperity and you did nothing with it. That was the judgment on Sodom. You let your prosperity decay into debauchery. Well, that was what these cities did. That's what they were known for. And they were conquered by Alexander the Great and taken care of. Not really one kingdom, but a conglomerate of sea-going people. These cities of the heathens were known for their debauchery. Oh, just the best word, for their sin. sin. And so he basically compares them to everybody knows how bad those cities were. Everybody, they they look down their noses at them. You know, they, they just, huh, those cities, you know, well, they got what they had coming. That's what they would say. Mm. Well, see what happens to you when you do that? And Jesus is saying, they were better than you. Look in the mirror, bud. They were better than you. And <laughs> man, that, that had to be a challenge of Ooh. like, yeah. I mean, that's a stick in the eye and, and Jesus as well. I'm not done yet. I got another stick for the other eye. Then you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? And that's who's in the crowd, by the way. You will descend to Hades. Oh my goodness. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would remain to this day. Do you realize how many times the scripture God used Sodom as a comparison 
again and again. He said it when he did it. I will use you as an example. Yeah. Why Sodom went and Gomorrah, why they went, God took all those evil cities, picked two of them, and said, I'm going to use you as an example. Hmm. I mean, that entire region, that entire uh, group of people lived the way they lived. They just had more money to enact it. It was a very rich little spot, hmm. fertile little land. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just had the ability to be as evil as they wanted to be. And so, yes, Sodom was bad, but Sodom was destroyed for a reason. So that Jesus could say this right here, right now. He knew what he was doing. Yes, they were evil and they were destroyed by their evil. But there was another purpose. You You will always be the people I point to to say you're worse than them. Five of the ten miracles recorded in Matthew 8 and 9 were performed in Capernaum. Jesus, miracle after miracle. He just blessed that place with his presence, with his words, and with the power of God. And they just continually criticized, complained, looked for problems, because he wasn't telling them what they wanted to hear. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom the day of judgment for you. He had used the same analogy analogy in 10, 14 through 15 for those who don't accept the disciples' teaching. Remember he said in the chapter before, if they don't accept your teaching, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than for you. Uh, All three cities noted by Jesus are in absolute ruins today. I'm not even sure if they can find them. They're they're gone. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you. So after that, I mean, that's a smack between the eyes. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Lord, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you are hiding these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. By saying this out loud, it's more than a prayer, but a message. I mean, this wasn't a a prayer that he said to himself. He said to these cities that he's at, and then he says this out loud, I praise you, God. He says a prayer out loud, Mm -hmm. and then he really hits them. It's more than a prayer, it's a message about who accepts the gospel. And what it is, is he's quoting Isaiah 29, 14, which is uh, repeated and explained in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. This is God's plan, it's how it's always been. Who are, who are the adults, who are the children? Well, it's referring to the proud, those who count their own righteousness, the religious leaders. The ones who are supposed to know, the ones who are supposed to be mature in God, the ones who are supposed to lead the people. And what he's saying is the the children are leading you. Hmm. Jesus didn't come for theologians or for lawyers. He came for everyone. This is hard for the proud to accept. Associate this with the cities he was speaking of that rejected him and all who do likewise. They didn't want to be servants. Not at all. They wanted him to serve them. They wanted God to serve their need, their cause instead of serving God. That That is it in a nutshell. Yeah. That's We all have to stop ourselves from doing that. Yeah. You know, God, here's what I want you to do. Mm. Rub the lamp. Come on! <laughs> you know, double sixes, you know. Isaiah 29, 13, 14, this is what he's quoting. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. We've talked about this in the past. Just doing and saying things because of repetition and thinking that we are doing something righteous. What God's telling us, right? 
No, no, no. I don't want you to do that. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with his people. <laughs> Wondrously marvelous. You guys are screwing up, so I'm going to do something wondrous. And the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. I'm going to do something wonderful, but I'm not going to do it through you. I'm not going to use you. I'm not going to use the religious leaders, the priests, uh, farmers, fishermen, tax collectors. That tax collector one had to be a real stick in the eye, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You know, to, the fact up. that Matthew, that this writer was there with him, and he's criticizing them while Matthew's sitting next to him, that had to be a real stick in the eye. Because mm. they despise tax collectors. Oh. And what he's saying is, you guys are worse than him. The next one's really long, so I'm not going to read it. Uh, just I had uh, first, and Paul uses it in First Corinthians one eighteen thirty one. But I got wow, like a half a page of verses there. Uh, but he said he quotes this too. So, verse twenty six, yes, Father, for this way is well pleasing in your sight. So, out loud he says at the end of his prayer, you're not going to use these people. They're gone. They're useless. <laughs> I'm going to use all these other little people, these peasants that are standing here. And he goes, yes, Lord, thank you. This pleases you. And they're all sitting there going, mm. It's like, we're going to get all the people from Longview Heights. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. That's absolutely. That's what he's oh, and, and don't, I fully believe that when the revival comes, That's it's coming from places from. like that. Yeah. Undoubtedly. The people that we forgot about God will use to save us. The people we refuse to save. Chose his power. The people we refuse to save. Will God will use to save us. I I don't have any scripture. It's just what I know about God and I really think it. Anyway. He didn't ask me. Uh, God things God did things the way he did them and the, with insight and purpose. He did so to achieve what he wanted. It pleased God to do what he did the way he did it. Jesus refers to God as both Father and Lord here, the culmination of both love and power. Uh, we're almost done here. I should just run this out. There's only a couple verses left. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. Now he says the big one. They're still there. Now they're really mad at him. And now he says this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You can only know God through me, because only I know God. Right. <laughs> this is after he told him, um, you, you aren't going to know anything. You're all going to suffer more than Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he goes, I'm God. <laughs> yeah. If you've seen me, you can see why they know. The He's nailing himself to yeah. the cross here. He really is. He is. He's. And with the truth. He is nailing himself to the cross with the truth. Yeah. There's only one way to know God through Jesus Christ. God's power and purpose are expressed through Jesus. God becomes our Father through Jesus Christ. This is meant to be a contrast to those who Jesus had just criticized for rejecting him. Yeah. You reject me, you can't find the Father. And you're rejecting me. So what he's saying is, there is no other way. I'm it. If you don't like it, then you're not going Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. What a beautiful thing. He says, I'm the only way to God. And then he says, 
I'm here. Come on. Minds. They amplify this is by religious rituals that provide no peace. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. All who labor under the burden of sin, those who feel the weight of unrighteousness and admit their need. Jesus tells sinners, you will find rest for your weary soul with me alone. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Taking a yoke on is often used as a metaphor for becoming one's disciple. Follow me. Exchange the burden you bear for being bound to me. Exchange your burden for what picking up your cross and following me. You realize he said that before the cross. Mm -hmm. They all knew what a cross was. Uh, Bear the burden of those who take up their crosses through choice, not compulsion or deception. Choose it. Choose to be yoked to me. Come here. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some laborers are labors of love. This makes them easy. This makes them light. Even the hard mm-hmm. things. Amen. Amen. Any questions, comments, or criticisms? I said I'd end early, and it's the minute 22 left. I lied. I'm sorry. We'll get it all done in a minute 22. Yeah, <laughs> we got a whole minute 22 to get it done. Anything anybody wants to say or ask? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, as always, and we thank you for your spirit that opens your word to us. You told us what you want us to know, and then you help us to know it, Lord. Uh, we're trying, and, and Lord, let it find a home in our hearts and change us. And when we do change, we could be a light to this poor, sad world, uh, part of the answer, not part of the problem. Watch over my brothers and sisters, make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate and help them to glorify your name and what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have a wonderful night.